Welcome to Beyond the Blue Wall. I'm your host, Henderson Bloomer. My guest is Ocean Jewell. Ocean is a jazz saxophonist and composer who grew up in Appalachian, Kentucky. He studied classical music as an undergraduate at the University of Louisville and then came to CalArts to study jazz, free improvisation, and composition in the Music MFA program. Ocean's debut album, First Suite for Quartet, was released in 2010 to positive acclaim, and his follow-up with the Ocean Jewel Quartet Folk was released in 2015. Ocean now lives in Brooklyn and also teaches for the Brooklyn Conservatory of Music. He is also the co-creator and host of the Brooklyn Living Room Sessions podcast on YouTube, which was partially funded by a CalArts Alumnix Seed Grant. Ocean, welcome to Beyond the Blue Wall. Pleasure to be here. Any chance to quote unquote come back to CalArts is, you know, kind of a return to the mothership. I'm pretty excited about it always. So, Well, we're, we're happy to have you. And let's talk a little bit about your time before starting at CalArts. How did you start in music? And how did you even find out about CalArts as a place to learn about music? So I grew up in Appalachian, Kentucky, uh, Eastern Kentucky, which, uh, it, you know, the movie Coal Miner's Daughter, uh, actually, when we're doing this, Loretta Lynn just passed away, which that mm. movie was about her. That's where I grew up. So it was, it's a coal miner, uh, coal country, and there's not much else. There's that, there's religion, and that's about it. There were uh, I, I actually grew up in a county that was a dry county, for anybody that doesn't know what that means. It means that there's no alcohol sales, which really results in there's no bars or Mm. music venues of any kind. There was no music venues in the surrounding many counties uh, around where I lived. But uh, and we didn't have a lot. We didn't have a drama program. We didn't have um, Model UN or anything like that. What we did have is we had a band program and there was a really great band director. And so I started playing in band and I had seen the saxophone uh, my parents took me to a Bruce Springsteen concert and I saw the saxophone and I knew it could be used in a lot of different kinds of music. So I kind of wanted to play classical music and, and I didn't really know much about jazz at the time. But um, so I started playing music that way. And then I in high school, I won some awards, uh, state statewide awards and uh, got to go to places like Louisville, Kentucky and be in these mm-hmm. honor bands. And I got a scholarship to go to the University of Louisville which was a great experience. It was a very conservative Midwestern music school, big music school, uh, about as many kids in the music school as there are in CalArts in total. Wow. And, uh, you know, the the vibe of the school was kind of like, okay, if you want to play jazz on your recital, on your senior recital, here are exactly the songs you can choose from and you have to do them exactly in this way. You know, it was very different from CalArts. Right. So when you're talking about conservative, you're talking about like there's a set rigid way to do music. There's no improvisation. We're not we're talking about reading sheet music to to the note. Well, there was a lot of jazz, so they did absolutely teach improvisation. Uh, It was just kind of like there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. You know, it was very um, we're going to teach you sort of the mainstream way of doing things and make sure that you can do that. And then once you get out, you can decide to do whatever you want, which I was kind of rebellious against that idea, uh, which sort of helped to kind of make me want to rebel against that mentality. 
Um, and so then I moved to New York for just a time after that, and I really hated it. Um, mm. I live in I live in Brooklyn now. I've been here for 13 years, and I love it. It's home. But at the time I moved there, I really had a bad experience. I think New York, you can have a lot of different experiences uh, depending on what kind of energy you bring into it. You know, if you right. have a if you're unhappy, I wouldn't recommend moving to New York in the middle of January when you don't know anyone there. So. Um, and uh, I hated it. I wanted to move out and I started looking at grad schools and I had looked at some places that were a lot like where I went to school before. And a friend of mine uh, called me and said, I'm at this school and he was a pretty conservative musician as far as music goes. And he says, it's not for me, but I can't stop thinking about you. Like there's all this mm -hmm. world music. There's all this freedom, free improvisation. There are these art openings on Thursday nights where people do all kinds of uh, creative and wacky people like to tell the weird stories you know the stuff that that pushes the envelope and he said i just can't stop thinking of you i think you'd love it so he dropped off some recording of mine to uh to david uh Reutstein and and then all of a sudden you know before i knew it i i was enrolled and and moving to the west coast so it ended up being like i can't even believe that i ended up there it ended up being just the perfect fit for me hand in a glove um and not just because of the kind of the freedom aspect and the creative aspects of it. Um, you know, teaching creativity wasn't something that I had really experienced. It was more about teaching technique and skills and history and theory. And they do all that at CalArts too. Every time I tell the, the stories um, uh, to, to people who don't know the place, the, some of the stuff that I saw there that, that was just way pushing the envelope, I always have to stop and say, also, we were playing Bach, and also mm -hmm. we were playing Charlie Parker, and also we were studying theory. It, you know, it's a real music school. It's not just creativity and nothing else. But um, I had never really experienced, on a formal level, people trying to teach what creativity was or what was the purpose of art in general. Why human beings do this universal thing that we do in every culture. So. It was beautiful. It changed my life uh, inside and out. Uh, I can't imagine not having gone there. You know, it it, yeah. it really, it really changed everything for me. Yeah, and so so you've gone from Appalachian, Kentucky, to New York, and now you're in Valencia, and it's a different playing field. Essentially, is yeah. what it sounds like. There, there's a whole added element of teaching creativity. And I think that that's a really loaded concept for a lot of people, and what at the time you mentioned David Reutstein, what who were the professors and what was the style of teaching creativity at that time? Well, I got to study with uh, Charlie Hayden, which is, you know, I knew his music. He's a legend and one of the I, I, I hesitate to say this, but history records him as one of the inventors of free jazz. Now, the truth was, is I think people were kind of moving in that direction. But still, that Ornette Coleman group, they really did kind of break the mold and say, we're going to improvise without, you know, formal structures. And uh, I took his improvisation class, which while I was there, he changed the title to Spirituality in Music, which mm -hmm. I think says a lot, you know, kind of went in, that goes in line with my CalArts experience. But, you know, two years that I was in that class, he never talked about a scale or a chord or a form or a rhythm. Um, I brought a notebook to the first class and walked away with nothing written down. He would talk about his dog or, mm. you know, Italian food or uh, traveling and, and, you know, horses and 
all kinds yeah. of stuff. And about the time that I was thinking, man, it's been 40 minutes and I haven't learned anything. I think I'm going to leave right now, walk out of this class. He would say one thing that was just so profound that it it's like something that you take with you for the rest of your life, Yeah, which, you know, I also studied music theory with Larry Koontz and with Mark Lowenstein and, uh, you know, learn nuts and bolts stuff, you know, but I think you can read books about that stuff and you can transcribe music and solos and, and learn some of that stuff. I don't think wisdom is something that you get to expect to be given. And uh, Charlie would tell us stuff that, you know, it's just changes the way you see your purpose as a musician, as an artist for the rest of your life. So, you know, I have little notebooks full of some of the stuff that he says, and I go back to it for inspiration from time to time. I also studied uh, with Wadada Leo Smith, who, you know, if I ever met anybody who could have, you know, convinced me they were from a different planet, it would be this guy. He's a, a walking, breathing creativity machine. Like this is just what he is, is creative. I think he could have done anything in any other field and he would have been the most creative person in that field. So, and he talked about stuff that was different than what Charlie Hayden talked about, but mm. it was all like, you know, uh, not stuff that you would find in a book. And it was from people who had had real careers and had made art with with uh, real artists. And that's not something that I experienced. A lot of times people who, who didn't go somewhere else before CalArts or afterwards might not realize, but a lot of times you go to a college and you study from people who are great, great musicians, great teachers, but they haven't really lived the life like these people have. And so that's absorbing that also gave me sort of a, a sense of confidence about the fact that you can do this you can be an artist in this world now as i got to the end of my experience i started to freak out and get kind of scared how am i going to leave here i know what the world i should also mention that when i was in louisville i stayed for some years after college and worked as a professional musician playing in bands right. teaching kids and uh you know the world is it's not cal arts so you know having been in that hub of of energy that sort of furnace um i got started to get pretty scared and have existential crisis and reach out to these people and and ask about you know how do i leave this place what am i going to do and what's life going to be like and i don't know i didn't really get the greatest answers i i don't know if they really have the answers or if anybody does um and i struggle with that a lot uh, even to this day i i think about it a lot and think like how can i still retain that sort of magic and bring that into the world You've been on tour with a number of different bands. Do you think that's part of the the lived experiences? Performing in front of audiences, you have to be social with others and you have to understand how to read a crowd as opposed to how to read the music. Yeah, and also I think just dealing with people on all different levels. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of people out there. I mean, I like to say people are people, but there's a lot of different sort of personalities and ways that people approach the world and approach interacting with each other. The time that I spent at that school, everybody seemed to be on the same page, even though they were very distinct, different colors of the prism, you know, um, they were still interested in the same things, expression, love, creativity, originality, you know, not being bound by uh, any kind of expectations and freedom and all of this, it was, it was beautiful. And so 
even musicians that I work with, they're not, they're not all like that. Some of them think that there's a, there's a, you know, how to, and maybe they have a point, you know? So, um, yeah, I think I learned stuff from that school. Sometimes people ask me, what was it like as a school? And I say, school, I don't know what you're you talking about. It was like Hogwarts or something, mm. you know, it was like, it was a school. We had classes. I learned Bach. I learned Beethoven. I learned Charlie Parker. And I also learned stuff that was not what I would ever expect would be on a curriculum in a school. Well, there are some things that just happen on campus that are in between class or in between parking in the parking lot and walking into the classroom. Are there performances you remember from your time at CalArts, whether it was music or otherwise, that really shifted the some boundaries for you yeah um there's all kinds of stuff in music that i saw that was kind of breaking molds or just accepting possibilities that that i wouldn't have thought would be happening especially at a school but maybe anywhere um and i could talk about things like you know playing in mixed meters that at the time was kind of still fresh and uh or adding like electronics to you know, acoustic jazz, all kinds of stuff I could say. But then also, you know, you're in this one sort of pyramid building that everything is together. And so you'll just walk to lunch one day and see something that is one of the most creative things you've ever seen in your life. And then also, I I went to a lot of theater performances, and some of these productions were as good as anything that you might have seen in, in, in Los Angeles. I should also mention that, like, even though I was a a classical major in college, I ended up doing a lot, all the jazz stuff as well, and playing in R&B bands, blues bands, rock bands on the weekends to pay my rent. And then when I got to Cal Arts, I was a jazz studies major, but I ended up doing as much, if not more, of the world music stuff. One thing that Cal Arts does is they say any jazz major has to study West African drumming because that's where it comes from. So that's where the rhythm comes from. And that changed, you know, we still play Awe music. We have an Awe ensemble in Brooklyn that's made up of Calarsians who moved here together. We have all the drums and we do it just like what you see at the graduation. And, uh, you know, that changed the way we hear music, the way we approach rhythm, the way I feel music, and also life. It changed kind of the way we see life. And for me, being from, you know, middle America, you know, a county that was, 98% white, like to, to experience these different cultures, I couldn't take a world tour of Ghana and India and Indonesia and Armenia and all Morocco and all these places. But like, I got to experience a lot of that culture while I was there. And it, it, it changed more than just the music, but it definitely changed the music. I mean, you know, everything I write now has some influence from somewhere else, even if it's not a direct uh, influence like a melody or a rhythm or a form or something it's it's kind of like well they think about melody differently in north india than they do in mm. you know jazz music or something so it just it just kind of opens up possibilities giving freedom 
commands more of like a individual respect or yeah. and, and responsibility like okay you're free to do whatever you want so then it's like the pressure's really on you know what i right. mean whereas if i was telling you here are the parameters then you just have to kind of follow the rules so all of that stuff went into it i mean i saw stuff from the animation department i saw stuff from the theater department um, from the dance departments that just blew my mind and it takes you outside of music and says oh this is what the animators are working on like we don't see them all year they come out at the end of the year <laughs> and show their films and i'm like oh my god that's what they're doing like the bar is really high here so i you know if i'm going to do music only then it better be full of life and it better mm -hmm. be fresh and it better be true and honest you know what i mean so that's what i that's what i took away from that place yeah well it sounds like some of the uh freedom is actually gets tied into the reality of where music comes from and that freedom has a, a burden of knowledge with it where you know that in order to do certain styles of music there there are predecessors that become a, a part that you absorb and become a part of you but you actually understand like oh this rhythm actually predates the advent of jazz in certain ways and that way that the free that freedom is actually just an expansion of the scope of what is out there um, and what what kinds of tools or instruments are available for use yeah, I think that's well put. Um, you know, the stuff from Ghana, the the airway drumming, the 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 West African ensemble, uh, we noticed things in there. There's a backbeat, which for non-musicians that means like one, two, the the chat. I mean, it's not on one, two, three, and four. It's kind mm. of off, but like it's unmistakable. It sounds like a funk or rock beat in the middle of this like centuries old West African music. And then there's a bell pattern that's like and we always joke that that's the swing pattern on the ride symbol, you know, ding, 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 ding. And it just kind of blew our mind. We would always, always bust out and, and start cracking up that it's like, okay, you think that, oh, American music was influenced by Africa. No, wrong. A friend, a good friend of mine says all American music is African-American music. And then mm -hmm. I, we all agree on that. Everybody who's experienced this, we do have to stop and say, okay, yes, it's also European. You know, it's definitely you're playing on a piano that's tuned to what Bach wanted. And But you can't escape that. Even if I listen to, you know, I'm from Kentucky. If I listen to bluegrass music, I hear blues and now having sung those melodies from West Africa, I hear where blues came from. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not just an American invention, it's direct. And so um, it's our own version of it and it's a melting pot uh, art form, but it, it commands sort of a, a reverence and a respect to what you're doing that it feels kind of like it's on your shoulders. It's like, oh, wow. So all of these people who, who over centuries kind of preserved this and kept it growing and kept tweaking it and making it right, that's why I have these sounds in my head. I really better take it seriously, you know, mm -hmm. even if I'm doing something free and completely contemporary and, and it has nothing to do with that, I still have sort of a responsibility to fit into that, that lineage that goes back, I mean, every culture in the world has had music. So it must be a, a universal basic human need. You know, it's not like the icing on the cake. So 
um, when you realize that it brings a little anxiety, but it also kind of frees you to understand that this isn't just you, you know, that, that's, that, that you have to kind of invent music for yourself as though you grew up on a desert island by yourself. It, it's, it's also, okay, I'm in a community and that community is not just Brooklyn, New York jazz musicians. It's also everyone who's ever lived, who's ever played a flute or a drum. So it just brings everything kind of home and shows you that, you know, you're not alone when it comes to this stuff. Right. It certainly is a, a different kind of communication that is outside of uh, spoken language. I think uh, visual artists understand this by looking at other artworks too. There's something about the way that we can make things appear in the world that others who do it also hear it and respond to it, right? Like that's that's the whole, that's the universality is being able to respond to those things because music is a form that is understood. I did want to ask about taking advantage of like Los Angeles as a place when you're here for school as and getting outside of the island of uh, Valencia, were there music venues and places you ended up frequenting and making the, the car trip or some kind of trek down to Los Angeles and different uh, performances or music venues? I did, um, but I did less of that than I have in New York. And I think that you know, it wasn't a snooty, snobby kind of way of thinking, but it was kind of like, I kind of wanted to be at Cal Arts as much as I could, you know what I mean? I, I saw some people who were coming back there years after they graduated, and I'm thinking, wow. And I, again, I had already been out in the world. I had already graduated from college, and it spent an extra four years working in, you know, bars and restaurants and playing music and teaching kids. And so I knew at that point how unique this experience was. And I knew, and I'd already been to a college, so I knew that like, and it was a great college that I went to with real music teachers who were incredible, but I just knew that this was a unique experience. But yeah, I went, I went to a lot of the um, venues and concerts while I was there and, and uh, everything ranging from like a little hole in the wall to, uh, kind of fancy LA jazz clubs like vibrato, you know, that people are drinking martinis and listening to Sinatra type music Two, I went to, I remember my, my, one of my best friends who moved to Brooklyn together and we lived together when we got to Brooklyn are still really close to this day. Uh, Amino Bellamani, we went to see Keith Jarrett play at Disney hall. And I think the tickets were like $150 and it was like, we don't have this money. And I remember we sat down and talked about it and said, look, we don't have the money for anything. So I don't think we're going to like regret this on our deathbed, having gone to see what we think is like maybe the greatest musician on the planet play solo piano. So we got good seats and we paid the top dollar and we went to Disney Hall. And it was incredible. I'll never forget it. You know what I mean? Maybe I had to eat beans for a month or something, but uh, it was fine, you know? Yeah. Doing the most. I mean, after you graduate from Cal Arts, you moved back to New York. Is that the next step? I had told myself when I moved out of New York that I would never come here even to visit. <laughs> that's, that's the mentality. Uh, that's I pretty had. bad. That was a uh, pretty rough four it. years. Uh, yeah. yeah, I hate it. And then I dated somebody at Cal Arts who was a theater major. And um, one time during while I was still in school there, uh, she said, I'm doing a thing in New York. When you go home for Christmas, why don't you 
swing through New York. And I said, no, I'm not going there. And she said, just come. And it was like the whole city got together and said, okay, here he comes. Everybody places one, two, three. And it was like the best four days that anyone's ever spent in New York. I went to cool underground arts parties and galleries and concerts. And there was like a, it was unusually warm for December and the city just kind of like blew me off. And I realized, okay, maybe some of my experience had to do with, with me and where I was, you know, at the time. And I was a different person after that because of, you know, what I had been experiencing uh, on the Hill and, uh, and, the financial crisis hit in 2008. Mm. And so in 2009, like a lot of the stuff in LA started drying up and it happened in New York too. But a lot of our friends, I was thinking I was going to move to Amsterdam or somewhere, but a lot of our friends decided to move together. So that's really what happened is we all moved together. We all got a house. Four of us had a house. Uh, three or four of our other friends lived close by. And so it was just a different experience moving to New York with people who were in that community with me, you know? Yeah. I mean, that certainly is a kind of thing to keep in mind uh, for students who are getting out of school that finding that cohort as part of the next step is actually like an essential part of what you just did at school is you found people who are making the next step with you into making your art reality making that reality with these other people who are ready to make music 24 seven still. Yeah. Cause again, I was, I was kind of freaking out my last year at Cal arts. I was kind of like going back into the real world. You know, I was asking all these older professors, you know, how do I do that? And I was told kind of over and over again, different versions of, you know, take it with you and be like this in the world which is the right answer, but it's also really vague. Like, how do you do that? You know, the one complaint I probably have about the place was kind of a, a lack of, of really addressing on a really direct and harsh level prep for a career. You know, mm. there, there was a careers in music class and it helped. Most schools don't have that. I've since learned that that normal schools don't like to talk about that kind of thing because studies have shown that the more you talk about a career in music, kids drop out of school, they change their majors. So that's just awful. And I think maybe they're doing a little better these days. But uh, my thing was like, how do I keep this kind of magic? And I definitely didn't step into some kind of, you know, success story. And uh, what's even harder is that some of my friends did, you Mm. know, for for me, there were times and I was really proud of my friends and happy and I supported them. I came to their shows. I, you know, promoted their, their work on social media and all of that. But for me, there's been times when it's been really, really hard. I think a big truth is just to remember that a life outside of, of school is hard. And, and there's going to be times where it's really hard, where you're not inspired. And uh, yeah, it's hard to live in the world, I think, as somebody who's experienced this kind of Cal Arts magic that I'm talking about. And I wish I had realized much earlier that you know, number one, nobody out here really knows what the hell they're doing at all. That's the truth about the world. And number two, it's okay to ask people. And then most of all, you kind of have to keep reinvesting in it, kind of relearning. Yeah. And for, for I think for artists, that's the truth anyway. You know, uh, when I was at CalArts, YouTube was invented. And then after that, Spotify, and that changed the music industry. So like, no matter if, if you had been savvy in all of that stuff, 
you would have had to kind of come back and reboot and relearn new stuff anyway for how to have a career. So the pandemic really showed us that, you know, everybody yeah. had to stop their career, their careers ended. And it re it kind of retaught me again that you can you can do that any time in your life. It doesn't have to be like you come out at 22 years old and like, OK, this is it. My career is what it is. You know what I mean? Right. And specifically during the pandemic, I mean, you brought together a program called the Brooklyn Living Room Sessions. And that was sort of a mix of what you're just talking about, where you're supporting other musicians as they're making and performing work and learning the YouTube thing, right? Like this is a series that you put together and put out on YouTube. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not really savvy social media or self-promotion or tech. Um, I play an acoustic instrument. You know, I, I joke that I'd be maybe more at home in a different decade or maybe even century. I don't know, but um, this is not my world. I'm not a recording engineer. So I had to learn all that stuff really quickly. We got, we got some grants uh, from the Brooklyn Arts Council and from New Music USA and a small grant from CalArts to help us start one of the seed grants for alumni, which is awesome. But, you know, they're, they're also small grants. It's not like they paid us to do this. So, you know, we got paid kind of to do the, the program. And we started this podcast. It's on YouTube. It's a video podcast. So it's, uh, it's someday I'll put it on Apple and, and Spotify and everything else as an audio version. But right now it's just a video. We do, a, we do an interview and we do a performance with our guests. They're all Brooklyn musicians. And um, we've had several CalArtians actually on it including Wadada Leo Smith, who taught at CalArts. And, you know, we talked about him earlier. And and then I edited it together to kind of go back and forth between the interview and the performance. So I'm pretty proud of it. It's it, it, it came, the idea came during the pandemic of like, all these musicians have lost everything. They're sitting in their apartments in Brooklyn right now with no one to play for. And so the idea was like, well, what can we do to help promote these people? And and one of the things that we thought was, well, you know, musicians do these things called sessions and they do them during mm -hmm. the day at 3 p.m. where they come over to each other's living rooms and they play and then they hang out and talk about music, listen to recordings. And it's like nobody ever gets to see that. It's kind of behind yeah. the scenes. So I always thought that's really cool. And I was watching like that Jerry Seinfeld show, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. And I was thinking like, why do I like this so much? It's like, well, because comedians are artists and they're really different than everybody else, but they're also just hanging out at a coffee shop and driving around in cars and they're normal people too at the same right. time. So like I thought, well, these living room sessions that we do all the time, if people could see that, they would really understand that like, you know, we're normal people and we're just hanging out, having coffee, talking about music, but also yeah, we're different. So, you know, I kind of wanted to show people kind of behind the scenes of all that stuff. That certainly is the kind of diving into the music that a lot of people really enjoy, especially those who may not understand or feel like they're prodigious enough to play the instrument. I mean, that yeah, I think comedians in cars getting coffee is a very good comp because you get to see the comedians work through the technical aspects of how how a joke works. And yeah. sometimes that's just all you need to be like, oh, that that really makes a lot of sense. I want right. I want more of that. Yeah, I don't understand comedy. So like, and I don't really want to, but mm -hmm. to hear them kind of touch on it and the in the craft aspect of it. And sometimes they'll have these very um, 
flavorful opinions about, you know, what they're trying to do and how important it is. And I, I just, I love that. I, I really dig on it. I'm a nerd about it. So, you know, uh, I think musicians are kind of like comedians or like visual artists, but we're all kind of different as well. So, you know, I always thought that that would be interesting if I weren't a musician or if I were, you know, I, I when I fall in love with a, a person's art, I kind of want to listen to what they have to say as well, you know, mm. and I, I may not be the person that knows who's on every album and what year it was recorded and, you know, all of this stuff, but I'll definitely check out an interview or two with, with an artist after I hear them play and, and see what they have to say about things. Ocean, could you introduce this clip from the Brooklyn Living Room Sessions podcast? Yeah, so this is my friend Amino Belliamani, who I went to CalArts with, and he, uh, we lived together in Valencia, and we also lived together in Brooklyn. And um, I asked him, you know, something about how different musicians are, and you know, you can tell this guy's just we're we're normal people, <laughs> we're human beings, but he 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 kind of goes on about how different you know what we do is from anything else. So. How different do you think musicians are from normal people? Uh, we, we were at your birthday a week ago, and here's five grown men having some drinks, and we stopped to listen to music, and nobody talked. Mm -hmm. You know, most people don't do this at all. Uh, we're, we're obviously insane. You have to be insane to pursue this. We're neurotic people. Uh, do you think that we're like complete like aliens on the planet is that what we're like or is it just like uh like athletes like we're just something a little slightly different i mean most likely we're aliens yeah <laughs> i mean yeah i mean imagine like <laughs> if actual aliens were to come on earth but they have a different kind of dna a markup that that doesn't allow them to hear sound but they can see air all they would see is like for example, going to Madison Square Garden, the alien shows up. They can't hear anything, they the but music. they will just see that people are sitting down watching oh. these people in stage, vibrating the air yeah, on stage, I mean. and then all of a sudden they clap, and so then yeah. the audience vibrates the air. Yeah. They'll be like, what the hell are these guys doing? Right? Because everything it. else they would see, they would see a purpose. Right. Some guy drilling, getting the oil out, or whatever sure. activity. You'd sure. be like, that's for that. But then going to a venue, it's aliens nonsense. would be like... What are they doing? Nonsense. <laughs> Complete poppy. It probably would make amazing patterns, the airwaves, yeah. all mixing with one another. Yeah. Now that things are, people are performing out in venues again, what have you been up to and how are things going? When I see people come to see music now in New York, they seem to be really happy to, and I'm talking about non-musicians, particularly to kind of take this medicine in because music and art in general is usually you know there's there's emotion involved and so like it, it it touches you to the moment and it doesn't have to be dance or music that exists in time or film but it's also even just looking at a painting puts you in the moment and i think that that kind of power that we have is is really why every culture has these things the gigs have been up and down you know uh teaching i teach a lot of little kids and that's been up and down i said mm -hmm. in the first year that they were way healthier than us the kids are fine we're the ones that need therapy but i think after two three years of this stuff they're starting to absorb stuff from their parents and their teachers and like they're starting to get a little weird so you know but after they play music for an hour they seem to be much healthier so I, what it's done for me and i don't know if this really answers your question but it's really put into focus 
what it means to be in a community as an artist. Yeah. Not just I'm an artist, art is important on its own, art for art's sake, etc. And I believe in all that, but also, you know, okay, while I'm not on stage accepting some award, <laughs> which hasn't mm -hmm. happened, what does it mean that I'm playing in this, you know, little venue, making not much money, passing the hat, and that people seem to be different when they leave, you know, yeah. what am I doing and what is my role here? And how does that relate to like, say, uh, uh, a yam farmer in West Africa 200 years ago who didn't have a quote unquote career in music, but played music uh, uh, often for people and mm. it was expected and, and necessary. So right. uh, yeah, I've been playing gigs. Uh, it's great to get back to it, you know, once I hit about 33, 34 years old, I never uh, complained about gigs again. I might not take every gig, you know, but uh, I, I always wanted to come into it uh, appreciating what the experience was as a whole a holy moment. But the pandemic for sure brought that into focus. I'll always be thankful for any opportunity to play music again. So, you know, and I already was, but it, it, it definitely kind of laminated that and sealed it and made sure that, you know, I just appreciate being able to do this. Thank you, Ocean. It was wonderful to talk to you and have you on the podcast. It's really a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for having me and uh, shout out hello to all the Calartians that might listen to this, you know, to be connected back to that place is really meaningful to me. This episode of Beyond the Blue Wall was recorded via Zoom and produced by Greg Houle. To learn more about Ocean and to find a link to the Brooklyn Living Room Sessions on YouTube, visit our show notes. Our original theme music was composed and performed by 2020 music alumnus Sox Whitmore. You can learn more about Sox by visiting their website, SoxWhitmore.com. To learn more about past Alumnix Council Seed Grant recipients, check the show notes for a link. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time, Beyond the Blue Wall. <laughs>